Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. <laughs> wow, uh, I've I found someone, folks. I found someone who, in my head, matches up to every aspect of the nature of practice that Peter Vale and I conjectured about uh, in a book on practice as a way of being. There's a little bit of a book plug right away, but that's my point that we, we, we know not one person can possibly represent all the characteristics that we thought of about someone who loves what they do, which we call a practice. But I found one in this conversation, Kathleen Rawls, R-A-L-L-S, has just finished a book. You'll hear about it. And she's doing all kinds of incredible things with uh, young women in athletics and on and on. Uh, has her doctorate in motion, in the best sense of the word, all the time, and, and sees uh, an endless future of doing what she loves to do research, write, teach, coach, speak, Kathleen Rawls. So take my word for it or listen to this conversation and find out for yourselves. Well, you know how it is when you uh, know someone who knows someone <laughs> and they say, you know, you really should get to know someone. <laughs> well, someone is Kathleen Rawls, uh, who is with me now. And the, the first someone was Tom Casey, who with whom I've had several episodes uh, uh, because he has a real keen eye on the future of leadership at the senior level. Turns out that his nephew is a close friend of Kathleen's. And that's how I learned from Tom, hey, you really should talk to Kathleen because she just finished her first book. And uh, of course I wanted to, because that's the fun of doing this podcast the way I do. Practice is everywhere, practitioners of, of, of every sort. And one of the cool things, your practice, what I've learned in the first 10 minutes we got acquainted here, is that you can combine several of your loves, sport, writing, educating, women in in uh, in general sense and specifically women who have learned to compete in sports all together and you sat down and slogged out the writing of a book and which i have just finished too and i congratulate you for that endurance contest that you've just won <laughs> well thank you thanks dave i mean right back at you we i think we're both fresh off the book writing and editing Fix. So, um, yeah. What did it, you learn about yourself in writing that book? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, if I could take just one quick step back, one of the things that I do is I run every day. I have ah. a, actually last Friday, I just passed my three year running streak. I've run every single day for the last three years. Um, and then from that streak, I've learned, you know, I may not be great at a lot of things. I'm seeing, as I'm in my early 40s, I'm learning I'm more of a generalist. Um, but that generalist, the key to success has been to be consistent. And 
that carried me, that carried me to get through the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I realized that as I was writing the book, because I thought, you know, like, I know that I'm going to get this, this project done. You know, I knew that the project wouldn't stop. I wouldn't stop my research, my writing, my editing. So when things got kind of rough through the editing, um, through working with some of the women who maybe um, wanted to, to be portrayed a little differently once they started reading through the drafts, um, <laughs> I realized that I could still go through with it, that it was all a learning process. So, um, you know, sometimes when you write a book, you've, you want to share a book because you have ideas and you might be have some expertise in a field, but what you really learn is there are a whole lot more skills to learn in the process. So, Bingo. Absolutely, bingo. It's just a piece, as we'd say up in Maine. Yes, you're putting letters down with a keyboard onto a screen, but even that for me has always been a challenge because I never use the same fingers the same time on the same key. You know, So from the very simple tactile aspect of the practice of writing mm-hmm. to the social aspect of if you're going to write about human subjects, uh, they're human and they mm-hmm. may or may not uh, appreciate uh, what you're saying about them. If you give them that opportunity, which you kindly have done and, and then on and on to uh, now the book is a piece of business in a way, mm-hmm. because you you'll never be, I'm sure, unless it's a bestseller like a Tom, uh, another Tom, Tom, one Clancy. of the Tom's right. Tom Clancy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we think of Tom Casey. Yeah. Uh, you probably won't make the millions, but it is a business now in the mm-hmm. sense that you want uh, to uh, re- recover some um, some uh, revenue through, however, royalties or whatever, mm-hmm. as a bit of reward. But that's the thing about running every day mm-hmm. and writing a book that may not make millions. Mm-hmm. You do it for a different reason than the average Joe who says, mm-hmm. I, I like running and I like writing. Right. It's something you, you, you know about yourself, right, Kathleen, that mm-hmm. makes you so durable. Yeah, that's a good word. I like that. Um, <laughs> well, I think I finished my dissertation uh, just two years ago in 2020. And even getting through that, that was worse, I think. Oh, yeah. Most that people was, say I'll never touch a keyboard again after finishing right. a <laughs> It took a good year off, but I do, I, I journal um, often. And it's something that I find if I journal, you know, in my thought process, I have the same ideas that keep coming back to me, coming back to me in the course of a day. But if I journal it, I can let it go uh, at least either totally or to a certain point. And that clears my mind to think about other things. So that was something that I did often in the writing as I would kind of get up and journal in the morning. I'm a night writer. Um, so I would try to write during the day, you know, to be, I'm going to get this, be constructive in the daylight hours where everybody else is working, but it doesn't really work for me. So I, you might find me writing at two or three in the morning in my office. Um, Yike. So, yes. So that's kind of more my style. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, part of the, the writing process, I was in a program called Creator Institute. So I had cohort um, that we would meet occasionally online through Zoom. But I found, you know, that I just kind of had to rely on myself a lot and knowing that I could do this. Um, but it wasn't always like I didn't write the book to write a book. 
And I think some of the other cohort members, like I always wanted to write a book, but for me, it was really about the ideas and the process and what I wanted to share than the goal, the completion of it. So everyone, you know, my friends and family are like, oh, congratulations, you wrote a book. I know an author. Um, but for mm. me, it's so much more about the process and I'm still thinking about what that has meant to me. So you really want that book to be read uh, so that the ideas that were so important to you kind of infiltrate the ideas and the thinking of, of your readers. And I think that's what, from a teacher standpoint, which you are, uh, mm -hmm. is really our end state is not necessarily changing minds, but giving people a reason to change their own mind if they if they so so choose. Sometimes we dangle a grade in front of that, but in many cases, you you want to have the story well told uh, yeah. for the learner to intrigue them and to put them into the picture mm -hmm. uh, as the reader, which is certainly what Peter and, and I have uh, wanted to do and do, have done in in our book. Uh, I want to then let's talk about it. Let's talk about the title and mm -hmm. and the ideas that you are sharing in that book. Yeah. So the title is Take Her Word For It. Sports Cultivates World Class Leaders. Mm. And yes, so I interviewed 11 women from the U.S. Uh, living in Europe and also in the Middle East. And um, all of the women um, have some athletic background. There is one professional athlete. She is a current U.S. Olympian. Um, but the rest of the women are, um, you know, some of them have been athletes their whole lives and continue to run races or coach or compete at some level. And others took up sport um, in their 30s and realized and saw a really uh, direct connection between a, a sudden trajectory in their career as they identified as athletes. And so... I took their stories. Um, I interviewed them last summer and I was a sports journalist for the Lowell Sun. That was my first career before I went into teaching. And so I always really loved the interview process. Yeah. So I had a great time talking with these women and listening to their stories about sports, the lessons that they learned and how they've applied them in their professional lives. And these women are nurses, they're uh, lawyers, they're social workers, they're teachers, they're leadership executives. So there's a wide range um, of what they do. And um, the idea of the story is to make it um, readable. You know, I didn't want it to be like, you know, my dissertation is a whole lot of there's a lot of muddy research in there, a lot of journals and academia and citation, citation, you know, a lot of, yes. a lot of end notes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a habit. <laughs> yes, it was all necessary. Um, but I wanted to really share the stories. And more importantly, I wanted to share the voices of the woman. So I, there's a lot mm -hmm. of quotations, a lot of stories, because um, my research, you know, one of the goals is to one of the focus. I really focus on how they use their voices, um, because that's a personal interest of mine. It's something that I've struggled with, um, even as a teacher and a coach for 20 years. It's something that I'm very cognizant of, of how um, I present my voice and my ideas in groups. Um, and so we talked a lot about that and how um, they see themselves in their professional worlds. It seems to me that uh, an athlete, women particularly, uh, when, they are, when they are performing, the, mm -hmm. whatever the sport, throwing a ball into a basket or uh, using a, a lacrosse, uh, what do they call that stick? Stick, <laughs> <And, yep. laughs> 
<laughs> yep. thick. All right. That's, that's cool. But my point is that they are definitely um, speaking out loudly with their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they understand people are watching them and they understand that they're in motion and they understand that they're, that what they do has impact and consequences on others. So in many ways, when they're in quotes free to, to perform the sport, I would think that it gives them a wonderful feeling of self-expression. And yet here's the paradox in a social situation where conventions uh, and norms dictate what a woman does versus the men in the room. Do you see that sometimes that there's like a dual personality going on there, or even in your case as, as a person who coaches and runs? Absolutely. I mean, that's really where the research comes from. For my dissertation, I went to Ethiopia to work with girl runners to find out whether they feel their voices are empowered because of their participation in sport. So it's very personal to me. So with this book, um, you know, it's interesting. Most of the women didn't really talk about that struggle um, or that dichotomy between being able to express themselves, you know, competitively. But then what did that look like in terms of their uh, voices professionally. Mm-hmm. I think the commonality that they all spoke of was wanting to experience success uh, and however way they could get that. And I think that they were more focused on, well, I know how to be successful with my team competitively in sport. And I know that I can do the same, you know, professionally, but there are different um, ways of doing that and different methods that are more conventional methods. Um, you know, you're working with a much more diverse group in your workplace than you are with your team. Different muscles, if you will, you know, yeah. social mental muscles. Uh, but it's it's cool, as I said, that winning. Uh, and I'm not trying to go all political on this, but that that feeling of success because I won a race and we won the game. Um you found in Ethiopia, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just necessarily a Western thing. I wonder if there's something about us humans that you detected when you work with those women about winning itself. What do you think it is? Mm, well, you know, I haven't really focused a lot of my research on winning, to be honest. <laughs> Have you been a coach all these years? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, kidding. yes. I'm and kidding. I, well, I guess- <laughs> what about winning? Because when Peter okay. and I uh, had a general idea of how we wanted to think of practice, a way mm-hmm. of thinking about practice. We said it's people who choose to uh, pursue a, a stream of results over an indefinite period of time. Okay. During which circumstances change, the context of their practice changes, but it's results. It's results that makes them want to work at a practice level of anything, writing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) running, you name it, results. And to me, that's pretty much tied into the score, the win, and and the loss. So there we go. Now we pinned it down. You got to rewrite the book now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would say one of the points that many of the women spoke of was setting their own goals and setting their and defining their own success. And I think that is really empowering for many of them. Um, In particular, one of the women I spoke with, um, she's a social worker in uh, the Belfast prison system in Northern Ireland. And Mm. uh, yeah, 
So she's one of the very few women who work in that field and, and in this particular um, setting in Belfast. And she also is um, a world-class mountaineer. She's done the Sublime Marathon, which is 156 miles across the Sahara Desert. And she's an open water swimmer. And she's also in her early 40s. Uh, actually, she's a girl originally from Boston. And <laughs> yes, so she's got a great story. And, That's a hell know, of a story. It's <laughs> even better if you know her in person. But um, she, you know, one of the things she has learned is as, you know, her interests have changed, she's learned to kind of go with them and figure out. She's, uh, she defined herself as a real strong extrovert. She said, you know, people look to me to use my voice and, you know, I'd have to have a pretty poor self-perception of myself to not recognize that. But she has found that one of the best ways for her to win in your term and to find success um, is to take a step back and, and empower other others so she can learn from them. You know, she is just taking up this open water swimming competitor. She wants to do all the eight major channels in the world. And you're dealing with, you know, the tides, the hypothermia, whatever is floating around you and just general endurance and racing against the clock and is whatever she, else she is. She's, she's a mother. She has two boys. She's, and she's in her forties. She is. And she's just taking this up. And so, um, you know, she said, um, you know, because of her personality and the way she presents herself, she's very tall, very intelligent. Um, and she said, people look to me immediately. And she said, I, I found ways to say, I'm not going to lead this training. I'm not going to lead this team. I'm part of the team, but you're the experts. You've been doing this for 10 years. I need to learn from you to to win, to succeed for, for me and for us. It's a skill that she's working on. And that, you know, back to the book and back to me, but the, yeah. and, and Peter, but the, the tag end of our way of thinking about practice is that by the determining what was required of them in the particular context where that practice landed them in a moment in time, the problem solving that went along with that brought about the learning and growth right that was the ultimate reward in practicing right so while i was teasing a little earlier about why a book how you're going to make a million it, the growth and the learning as you as you well said mattered yeah. to you for her even though she's already probably got a a bunch of trophies all over the place when she talks to you about how she is with others she seeks others from whom she can learn right and, and so someone who's at the top of their literally at the top yeah of whatever game they're in to find them that they're also wanting to learn from others and 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 in the sense teaching to learn uh, right. as well is remarkable did you see yeah. that in any of the others of your 11 or was that particularly a standout for her she and there's a there was Another uh, woman who also is to find herself as a as an extrovert, a very strong leader. Um, this woman is a, she was in the Peace Corps in Jordan for several years. She's a Fulbright scholar. She has a doctorate, um, and she's currently leading an education program in Dubai, and um, an American. And she um, she actually was always athletic, but really started to compete in her mid thirties, um, finding a love of an endurance sports 
And what she loved about endurance is the team aspect. You know, she would do it to challenge herself, the mental aspect of going out there and running. She does marathons and she lifts, but she really is, um, you know, so she's had to kind of play the catch up game in a sense of how do you train for these kind of races? How do you incorporate lifting as she gets older? Lifting is really important for women as they age in order to keep that muscle strength and density. Um, and she has really kind of taken from a lot of different coaches from a lot of different countries because she's lived and worked in three continents uh, in the past decade. So she has incorporated a lot of cultural aspects as well of how to, you know, you move to a new place, you move to, you know, Dubai and, and culturally, what does it look like for a Western woman? And how do I continue to do the things that I do and find people who are willing to mentor and work with me so that I can succeed? So she, again, she also spoke of looking around the room and saying, well, who has the knowledge that is going to help me and help the team? And how do I empower them? There you go. And I love the last point of that. Who has the knowledge and how do I empower them? That That is cool because what you're saying is she may find someone who in that moment thinks of herself or himself as, you know, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary person in the room. Mm-hmm. but she can sense that there's something that she can learn. And the empowerment is having a successful person come to you and say, could you help me understand? Or mm-hmm. could you show me? Or could you watch me and give mm-hmm. me some feedback? You know, I know that that would be not only flattering to a person, but uh, it would ignite something in them. Yes. Uh, so we talk about empowerment, but I think it's it, it's a moment to moment thing too. It's not it's not an overall social condition. I think it happens when people give power to another. In this case, by showing them deference and mm-hmm. respect, mm-hmm. and and actually some excitement when they learn something. And I'm projecting from my experience in figuring out how to live with technology. You know, for years I had a university wrapped around me and anything I needed, you know, I pick up the phone back then we had phones and wires and I call tech support and I'd say, can you come in here? I can't figure this out. And five minutes later, I'd have a wonderfully patient student uh, standing next to me saying, no, you keep hitting this. (laughs) So, uh, and I appreciate it because no matter what my status was, I was a I was a rank beginner when it came to some of the things. Now, why would I care to have that support? Because I was always trying something new right. with whatever technology was at hand to enhance and enrich my learner's experience, thereby mm-hmm. mine. And so it was it became part of my reputation. Mm-hmm. What's Dave trying now? Or they used to call me, what's Doc trying now? <laughs> and, and, and so I'm, I'm empathizing and feeling very good about uh, your char- the characters of your book and, you, and yeah. your character as an investigator. Let's bring it back to you as you're co- gathering, garnering these stories. Mm-hmm. What impact did that have on you as a person as a note taker and ultimately as a writer? Mm-hmm. I think, um, well, those two women kind of went together in terms of their personalities, but obviously the other nine women, you know, expressed a range of personalities and traits and things. So I found myself often trying to situate myself amongst the 11 women. You know, you speak with one, you're inspired. Do you think about what you might do in the, situations that they shared, the particular examples that they wanted to use to show growth or show learning. 
Um, and so I was trying to find people that I, you know, who did I, who was I compatible with? You know, who did I, how could I learn from their stories? How might I view this particular woman in my workplace? And so that was a way for me to kind of, you know, being that I didn't work with any of the women, how they might be perceived in their workplace. How might I view them as another woman? Because I think that's important. A lot of the women spoke about gender equity in their workplaces and how they feel they're perceived and how they perceive other women and how some of them have, you know, been working in some pretty male dominated fields like the social worker in a prison, um, another one, a corporate lawyer in Chicago and how they have kind of worked through and found ways to be successful. Um, and so I, that was where I found myself is trying to, you know, being a writer and a thinker myself, just like how, you know, what would it look like? What do they look like in there after they share their story? So I spent a lot of time just kind of daydreaming and letting those stories kind of take hold. And from a, coming back to you, as you're making these comparisons, as you're being inspired or, or however your emotions are working, my, my point to you is that you are growing. You are Kathleen. You're Kathleen on the grow. You're 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 uh, discovering things that, that are different than them that you have, but perhaps are complementary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, I'm projecting because I've had a wonderful three years of constant growth mm-hmm. uh, because I have taken on this this cause of of identifying the nature of practice. Uh, and, and with the pandemic that we've all gone through, thank God that you and I have had something uh, yeah. that we could do with our hearts and minds mm-hmm. uh, while, we're, while we're waiting for all this uh, stuff to subside. Yeah. So given that you've grown so much, what's next for you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um I just finished, I worked, I left my full-time teaching position a couple of years ago. I was a high school history teacher for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And um, the past couple of years, I've been teaching part-time as just a reading tutor in elementary and middle school. So I just finished that. And every year I joke, this is my last year teaching, (laughs) but I don't think I will ever let that go because I enjoy it too much. Um, And last year I, I finished a high, uh, coaching high school softball. I coached track and field. I coached basketball, uh, field hockey as well. And wow. every year I say, you know, I'm going to, you know, take a break because it's exhausting, you know, to coaching is oh, yeah. exhausting. Yeah, seven days a week. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but then uh, some friends uh, connect with me, some high school teammates and said, oh, you know, we're coaching this high school, this um, middle school softball team. And we were there you know, teammates of mine from high school. And they said, we were infielders. We get a group of outfielders. We have no idea what to do with them. And I'm a 5'10 lefty. So I cover ground. So I play the outfield. <laughs> and so we have a game tonight in New Hampshire. I'm excited about it. So I still get to do that piece. And I've realized um, how much I want to continue with the coaching, no matter what I do. But professionally, Dave, what I'm going to work on is I'm created an LLC business. Um, and I want to, um, working this summer to, um, finalize keynote talks to um, work with organizations, whether in education or uh, in areas where women are 
growing exponentially in technology and manufacturing and finance to talk about ways they can use their unique voices. So I'll be using my research from my dissertation and from the wonderful stories I got to share in my book and to um, create my own business. So that's what I'm working on next is how to do that. <laughs> oh, you got a lot of learning ahead. A lot of Yes, I do. Ahead. Uh, and, and I know I'm absolutely right. I, I have a, a gut feeling uh, for when I'm hearing someone express uh, something they want to step out and do and in terms of timing, back to context again. And uh, I don't think there could be a better time for you uh, to find receptivity uh, from the standpoint of those, for example, who are trying to restaff a company. And they realize now that they've taken a whole lot for granted about hum that what they used to call the human resource, which uh, but I suggested they think of them as fellow humans and people and who have uh, something that they absolutely need to make the business happen. And they can no longer take for granted that all you need to do is turn it all over to uh, someone who writes the paycheck, that there's so much more. And so that piece, that the, the hum humility, which Tom talked about in two of our podcasts, Tom Casey, mm -hmm. where he said, boy, they're, they're really discovering now that this new generation in particular, the ones that you're working with, mm -hmm. the ones that were under 40 uh, or, and you know, come, upcoming, and who are, because of Title IX and other good things, a lot more into athletics than a whole bunch of generations preceding. So you've got women athletes, women who are developing voice, women who are proved over and over again in the workplace that they can outperform the whatever the task may be, whether it be nursing or, or uh, lawyering, uh, because mm -hmm. of that drive that you mm -hmm. have to show <laughs> us stodgy old men that uh, they got something to offer and you know yeah. we're the reason that they have to push so hard i guess that's a service right to be to be uh, knuckleheads um as employers but it but it's coming yeah. and then you got all this media now you know back when i would was doing a bit of that to uh, supplement my uh, ego and my and my income as a when i was professoring i i found it very hard to get anyone to recognize that I had something to offer a talk or a workshop or whatever. We had very limited so-called marketing opportunities. Uh, and it was mostly word of mouth and quite local. Uh, now I mentioned Lizzie Freudman to you before we started recording. Mm -hmm. There she is in New Orleans working with Tom Casey, who's your, who's the uncle of your friend mm -hmm. uh, to, amplify the voice that they have uh, for their company, their consulting firm. And then she also linked me up with uh, an author uh, named Meredith. Oh, I just, where did I put Meredith's book? I've got to, I got to use this right here. Anyway, it's called teaching people. Her, her mission is to teach people how women in particular, how to brag, oh. how to be self promoters. Okay. And I'm uh, the recording I'll be having with Meredith is coming soon, but um, uh, Lizzie felt as a women businesswoman with a B Corp, actually, that she needed to become more confident in 
getting her, uh, getting people to listen (laughs) and try out and try her wares. Mm -hmm. She also linked me up with a woman whose episode was about three episodes ago, who is supporting B Corps in uh, North Carolina. Okay. And, and she had a wonderful story. So, here we are wrapping up on our time here, but also looking back at this nesting <laughs> of people who uh, are very interested in the business side of getting yourself out there and offering a thought as a service, whether the thought's a talk or however you p- p- portray it. Mm-hmm. Your, ti- your timing is good. Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> You know, one of the things I find myself doing, even just with, you know, after all these experiences of working with high school kids, I was an adjunct for a while um, and writing this book, is it's such a pleasure to be able to talk individually with young women and even just young girls about ways that they can empower themselves. And one of the things that I've been sharing often with lately is, uh, you know, I find, especially with female athletes, and I think just in general, um, girls and women in general, is they're very hard on themselves. You know, they don't want to let themselves down. You know, I often say, like, you don't need to tell them what they did wrong. They probably already know. They're just, you know, so inside their own heads, so many of them, and no matter what their personality is. And so one of the things I've been working on with the young girls on my 12 and under softball team is just how do you empower your team? You know, and it's a way for you to um, keep pushing the team forward, even when you're not performing well. Uh, I think it's a really important message. Um, And it does help them, you know, they'll come in and they've had three, you know, ground outs, strikeouts, whatever. And they're so upset with themselves. They want the team to win. They want to get hits. They want to get on base. They want to do well. They personally want to be successful and win. And I'm like, hey, like, you know what? Today isn't your day at bat. And it's okay, but you can cheer on their other teammates. That's one way that you can still contribute and, and we can still win even with your strikeouts, you know, so get out of your head, get back to the team. And I think I wish I'd had that lesson when I was a kid, because I put so much on myself, you know, to, to do everything and be successful. And I wish someone had said, hey, you know what, like, you know, of course, I was aware there was a team and I wanted the team to win ultimately. But you sometimes you're like, I'm not doing anything. But there are lots of ways, I guess I should say. There are. And I think that uh, we talked a little bit about um, the the drive to win and how that's differentiated uh, most of your interviewees. But there's also learning to lose and and understanding the value of loss, yeah. <laughs> which you start out with the kids under 12. Uh, and it, it, there's this notion of the yin and the yang. And mm-hmm. if they r- resist loss so much that they'll quit rather than lose, then you've, you know, that's, that's awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what you and I, as uh, practitioners of, of writing, thinking, teaching, understand personally is that not every day is a you know red letter day and what you write in your notebook on a particular day is this day sucked yeah nothing worked (laughs) you know a zoom crashed and uh you know my cat was crying in the middle of so whatever it may be the resilience the bouncing back the um the enthusiasm for life is crucial 
and I pick it up on you now. I hopefully you'll know that I think of you as a friend, an instant friend. I mm -hmm. truly admire your spirit and what you're accomplishing. And I'm excited that you're going to be moving from the book through perhaps other ways and, and with your new LLC. What are you calling it? It's just my name right now, Kathleen Rawls LLC. So I'll be kind of branching out into books, curriculum, and public speaking. Great. We'll be watching for that. And in the meantime, I've made you famous just by making you episode 166. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Today's the day. It is the day. It all's coming together now, Kathleen. But mm -hmm. thank you again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dave. And anything I can do to help you out on your journey, I'm here for you as a friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.